Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. Check out Unpacking Israeli History Podcast. From the history of infamous terror groups, Hamas and Hezbollah, to the story of Nakba, to Israel's disengagement from Gaza in 2005, there's so much to uncover. Unpacking Israeli History cuts through the noise and helps you understand Israel's present through understanding Israel's history. Catch up on previous seasons and enjoy new episodes from Season 6 each week. So, educate yourself. Learn the history behind the headlines. Find Unpacking Israeli History wherever you listen to podcasts. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Hello, and welcome to Rintraw and Anderson's Squirrel Chasing Hour. Hell yeah. The podcast in which the dogs Rintraw and Anderson chase squirrels, or at least make noises at squirrels in the background, while we record a podcast called Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff. It's all very meta. It's called texture. It's called texture. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, you didn't introduce me yet. (laughs) Well, that's Shireen. (laughs) Shireen Lani Eunice is here. That's me. Host of Ethnically Ambiguous, host of It Could Happen Here. Poet, filmmaker, friend, icon. I did it. Those are great. Thank you. Thank you. First and foremost, a friend. First and foremost, a friend. Like. Second, second foremost, I forgot to mention Mother of Bunny the Cat. Mother of Bunny the Cat. I have a cat named Bunny. Bunny should be in then. Okay. So it's the. How does, Bunny, how does Bunny, Bunny feel about squirrels? Hour. She loves to watch. She's a. <laughs> uh, yeah, she'll she will be the observer to the squirrel chasing. Listeners, I want to brag about Margaret for a second. Listeners, before we started recording part one, we were Bunny was uh Bunny was being bad. Um and so I called Bunny bad bunny and Margaret knew that reference. And I just want to give credit where credit's due. Yeah. Thanks. Not only did she know, but she knew that bad bunny was Puerto Rican. That's yeah, like another yeah, there was step. like there was like factual <laughs> information. Um there um yeah it's because bad bunny has done work with cardi b and cardi b supports sex workers yeah <laughs> and so that's a great way to know who bad bunny is <laughs> and, my, yeah. and 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 bad bunny's actual so my parents have a bunny that like an actual bunny rabbit that live. this is so much information that the listeners don't need but there's a bunny that lives in their yard and uh my parents leave out uh seeds and appropriate bunny I and squirrel bunnies. and deer mm-hmm. food for they they live in the woods and um i got them to name the bunny Benito, which is ba- oh Bad gosh. Bunny's actual <laughs> name. And so they, but but they've now changed it to Bun Ito. And that's oh, just wow. a little bit about why I am the way I am. <laughs> honestly, yeah, no, that explains name. a fair amount. Yeah. Benito is great on its own for a bunny, honestly. I know, it's anything I know. that ends in an O, it's yeah. like a cute name. 
Bunnies uh, are the best. I love bunnies. But yeah, that that has been unnecessary animal talk, but also necessary animal talk. Someone out there appreciates it. I know it. Yeah. At least one person. Yeah. And everyone else has been pressing forward 15 seconds. And um, now. that's fine. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. No, I'll just bring up people. animals every like minute or so, so they'll, <laughs> they'll just keep skipping. You know what I mean? Like oh, they'll talk about stuff, and then they'll be like, yeah, "Oh, they're still like, talking about fucking cats," and then we can they can continue. Yeah, like yeah. oh, the things that we can form relationships with that aren't people that make our lives enriched. How boring is what people will say um, because they have no heart or soul or something. Uh, the other voice you've heard is Sophie. Oh shit, it's me. Uh, mother of Anderson. Producer yeah. of podcasts. <laughs> producer of podcasts. Mother of Anderson, producer worlds. of podcasts. Friend of Benito the Bunny. <laughs> Friend of Benito the Bunny. <laughs> Our audio engineering is done by Ian. Hi, Ian. Ian, if is you... Ian the, fa- the, 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 the father of an animal? Yeah, Ian, I don't, I don't think Ian has, but I, Ian, feel free to put in a fun animal fact here if you're bored. And if you're yeah. not, and if you're not bored, and you don't feel like putting in a fun animal fact, that's also okay. But we yeah. can't go forward. Also, you, you don't have to do anything. <laughs> you don't have to do anything. We love Ian. Is the point? Yeah. Yes. But you have to say hi, Ian, before we can continue. <laughs> We've made a Me? rule. Oh, Everyone hi, has Ian. to. Hi, okay, Ian. Great. Hi, hi, Ian. Ian. <laughs> All right. And our music was written for us by Unwoman. And this is part two of a two-part series. About hunger strikes, the last recourse of the desperate um, against their oppressors. Where we last left our heroes, the Irish Republican Army, who are a lot of people's not heroes, but are in a situation where they also feel like they have no recourse. They have just been told that they were not to be treated as prisoners of war anymore in in Her Majesty's prison maze, but instead as common criminals fed to the Minotaur. Even though many of them were getting picked up without charges, evidence, or trial. Which is a fun way to find yourself a prisoner, is to not get accused of any crime. Yeah. The first inmate to protest this was a guy named Kieran Nugent. And what led him to a life of the IRA? Well, maybe, I'm not certain, but I think there's like one part of his past that I can think might have radicalized him. It's when he was 15 years old standing on the street with a friend when a car stopped asked them for directions when they started to answer someone in the car pulled out a submachine gun and shot him eight times and killed his friend he survived getting shot eight times as a 15 year old and i can't imagine why he went and joined the ira after that was there not that there's ever a reason to do any of that but was there any motive not that I'm aware of. I'm That's under absurd. the impression it was literally like, let's just go kill those Catholic kids. Wow. So when he was 16, he joined the IRA. He spent five months in jail without being convicted of anything. And then he was arrested again, uh, I think when he was 17. And this time he got a conviction. He, spent, he served nine months. Um, when he was 18, he got arrested for hijacking a bus. He was the first person sent to the Minotaur's maze after they decided to stop treating paramilitaries like prisoners of war. And so he shows up and they're like, all right, put on your prison clothes. And he's like, I'm not a fucking criminal. I'm a a fucking freedom fighter. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Or more specifically, he said that if they wanted him to wear a uniform, they would have to nail it to his back. He wore a blanket instead. This gets called the blanket protest. Hmm. Um, 
very direct namers at this particular mm-hmm. juncture. Also too cute for my liking. The Troubles was cute, you know? Mm-hmm. Blanket protest. I understand what it's doing. It's very literal, but yeah, terrible things have cute names, and that makes me unsettled. Yeah, it'd be like if Bunny wasn't your cat, but instead like a giant creature in the woods with yeah. red eyes that sings the British National Anthem. I don't oh know. Oh my the God, National that is terrifying. Is. I know. What if there's like a monster in your woods that just like sang? With a nationalist of some kind. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, so the second prisoner to join the blanket protest was a woman. So of course she is left out of most of the narratives. I like oh, had yeah. the whole script written where I was like, and then the second prisoner is, and it's this other guy. And then later I was like, no, this other person was the second person to join the protest. Uh, she was in a different prison for women, and she had a version of the best name ever. Her name was Mariette, which is Irish Ooh. from Margaret. Wow. And she was in prison for 14 years for bombing a hotel that was being used by British soldiers. And at trial, she refused to acknowledge the colonial court. Well, badass across the yeah. board. Check, check, check. Yeah, she, she fucking, she goes hard. The third prisoner to join the blanket protest was a man named Jackie McMullen. He is usually marked as the second because why would a woman matter even though women have been active participants in Irish struggle since literally forever. But women aren't people. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Jackie, this guy Jackie had been arrested 20 times as a teenager. He has a quote about it. Every male aged 13 to 65 would have been arrested, the vast majority for screening. Like, basically, they would just arrest every Catholic they saw to see if they were, like, up to no good or whatever, right? And so he'd been arrested 20 fucking times. So and we he, still don't really know how they know they're Catholic, really. Maybe, like, the neighborhoods no, again, they're in or... Again, uh, someone knows. Yeah. I, but I don't know. Um, the, the neighborhoods were increasingly, I think since 1966, the neighborhoods were increasingly segregated. We're actually going to talk about some people who, like, mm-hmm. um, actually had grown up in very, like, mixed neighborhoods and were perfectly fine and everything was happy until 1966 when... Uh, Protestants started like self-segregating away from the Catholics and stuff. So Jackie was a freedom fighter with the IRA. He had a nickname. His nickname was Teapot. Love it. Because one of his tops of one of his ears had been shot off. Wow. He was, I know. Don't fuck with a guy named Teapot who has a revolver and is missing part of his ear. (laughs) When you look up photos of all of these guys now, like the ones who survive all of this, they're just like, they're just some old Irish guy. It's like real cute. They're just like, <laughs> oh, there's Teapot. Anyone's, yeah. Yeah. And so Teapot had been caught with a revolver when he was 20. His trial was only 40 minutes long. He also refused to recognize the court. When he was in prison, his mother, alongside other Irish women, chained herself to the railings outside the prime minister's house in London. Wow. And by Christmas that year, so a few months later, it started in September. There were 40 prisoners wearing blankets, mostly IRA and the Irish National Liberation Army folks. Um, Where did Irish, they acquire these blankets? It's like what they have in prison. It's like okay. the, it's the blanket that they're like, all right. Like an airport blanket or airplane and, blanket? Yeah, probably. Whatever they, whatever your fucking scratchy wool blanket you have in prison is. Um, okay. So they all like, have, a, like they have access to get a blanket, I guess is yeah. what I'm saying. Okay. Yeah. By 1978, they escalated from the blanket protest to the dirty protest. Uh, where prisoners refused to wash and then started smearing their shit and menstrual blood on the walls of their cells. Okay. 
I'm not mad about yeah. it. No, I mean, whatever. Whatever fucking works. Yeah. Or or whatever. I mean, that's fucking disgusting. Yeah. And if you're not going to get shamed into action, maybe you'll get disgusted into action. Yeah, totally. Like, I don't want... Yeah, it's probably just to get the guards to be like, man, I don't want to deal with this anymore. Yeah, exactly. I don't get paid enough for this shit. Yeah. They had five demands. And their demands weren't freedom for Ireland. Like, that's what they were fighting for as their cause, Right. But this sort of strike is usually about specific conditions. And specifically, they had five demands related to essentially prisoner of war status. They demanded the right to not wear a prison uniform, the right to not do prison work, the right of free association with other prisoners and to organize educational and recreational pursuits, the right to one visit, one letter, and one parcel per week, and full restoration of remission lost through the protest. Basically, it's like, while they were protesting, the state was like, well, this doesn't count as you're like time served because mm. you're like not being nice. Outside of prison, people start organizing for their support. Uh, for at the Kind of at the beginning of this, people are like, yeah, I mean, I guess that matters. But like what really matters is like the struggle, you know? And then people were like, actually, no, those, those people in prison matter. Outside prison by 18, uh, not 1879, 1979. I'm used to writing about the 18th century. 19, fuck, whatever. 1979, the Northern Irish socialist politician Bernadette McCalliskey is a working class Republican woman um, because Republican means socialist at this point in time in history in this particular place um, because political labels change what they mean depending on context. She started to fight for folks. Uh, she'd been present at Bloody Sunday later in 1981 People break into her house trying to assassinate her. She gets shot nine times in front of her children, and she lives. Oh, my God. She, she was like, all right, kid, you got shot eight times. I'm going to get not shot nine times and live. So she's working to support the prisoners. This is before she gets shot. In 1980, the dirty strike goes hunger strike. 148 prisoners in the men's prison volunteer but they pick seven of themselves uh, total as a symbolic thing about the number of folks who signed the 1916 Declaration of the Republic when mm. kind of the Easter up, Easter Rising sort of kicks off what leads to the independence, the semi-independence of Ireland. At the nearby women's prison, three women join, including our girl Marriott. And later, just to end her saga, unfortunately, in 1988, she's killed during her arrest in Gibraltar. She's trying with some IRA friends to car bomb some British soldiers when they get caught. And inquiries later show that she was actually illegally shot because she had been trying to comply with her arrest when they killed her. Wow. But for now, she's hunger striking. Is it like something on top of, like, it's not replacing the dirty strike. It's like in addition to? They might have stopped smearing their shit on their walls. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> um they probably were pretty excited to take a shower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's not great for the the person doing the dirty strike either, I, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, and then the hunger strike is also, it's just, a, it's an escalation, you know? Right. Um, and, and they win this hunger strike in 1980. The strike lasts 53 days, wow. but in the end, the government blinks. They're afraid of the backlash they'll get if they kill this prisoner. Which is another thing that nonviolence pairs really well with is violence. Mm -hmm. It was the threat of violence that caused the British government to concede to this nonviolent tactic. So the government's like, all right, fine, we'll meet your five demands. 
But then the government, being a government, I don't know if you knew this, uh, sometimes governments don't hold, hold their promises. Oh my God, are you serious? Yeah, I know. It, it, it changes a lot of people don't follow the law? People don't care about morals or, or anything? Yeah, you'd think. I mean, obviously there's no system by which people would get elected if they weren't honest and my God, um, I really moral. thought I really thought governments yeah. could help us. Yeah. Well, this is probably the only time and place where a government has done this. Okay, great. So they start another hunger strike on March first, nineteen eighty one. And the the IRA has a military command structure, right? The officer commanding of the imprisoned IRA members is a guy who's in prison, and his name is Bobby Sands. And he's like, well, I'm in charge, and so I'm going to do the honorable thing, and I'm going to go first. So he stops eating. And, you know, they're like, we are political prisoners. We will be treated as such. They have the five demands, the same five demands they've ostensibly already won, but have not. Bobby Sands, he grew up in a mixed neighborhood, Protestant Catholic neighborhood. But when he was 12 in 1966, all of his Protestant friends stopped talking to him. I think their families basically made them ice him out. As an adult, he tried to just go be a guy, right? And he went to get work as a coach builder, which is a bus maker in American English. I had to double check. <laughs> He's not building coaches to like go to the NBA or anything? I know. I was like, I, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Whereas I was thinking it was like horse-drawn carriages. They still had horse-drawn carriages. You know? Oh. Um, Wait, what is it really? Say it again. It's a bus. A bus. Yeah, he made buses. A bus. Or he tried to make buses, but a bunch of guys wearing fucking like paramilitary Protestant armbands who he worked with. The word that gets used, the verb they use is harass. They harassed him into quitting. Um, and by harassed, I mean they stuck a gun in his face and told him to fuck off. And his family and almost all the other Catholics in the family were driven out of their homes at gunpoint. So he's like, all right. IRA time. He bombs a furniture store. I have literally no idea why. I'm sure he had a reason. And then he gets in a shootout with the cops and he gets sentenced to the Minotaur's maze. And then March 1st, 1981, he begins to hunger strike. More prisoners join at staggered intervals. Basically, the idea is that if we join at different times, there's always going to be different prisoners at different lengths of it. Basically, because mm. they know that they're doing this until they die, right? So, what, so nothing really changed after the first one, right? So, what did? What, how did it end then, per se? Like, what did what? They were what like, "Oh, we're going to meet all your demands," and then they were like, but, "Oh, but hooray, we win!" Yeah, and oh, then they okay. just didn't. Okay, got it. Yeah, and so by doing this at staggered intervals, they have different people at different stages of it. So instead mm-hmm. of everyone dying all at once, people die at different intervals. And the reason that we know some, this is like the famous hunger strike in Ireland. There's a bunch. Their hunger strikes have been work going on in Ireland. I didn't write them all down. But since 1917, like mm-hmm. it is, as long as there's been people fighting for an Ireland, it probably goes back way, well, as we talked about, it goes way the fuck back. While he was two months into the hunger strike, Bobby Sands ran for the British House of Commons, basically like ran for government in Northern Ireland. And he won. Um, he won a seat. Was he not in the prison? He was in the prison. How was he able to run? Well, they ended up passing a law after this that says that you can't run for for British 
government. But before that, from there prison. wasn't a law. Yeah. And um, so he runs and he gets a seat in the House of Commons. He's not allowed to sit it. It doesn't get him out of prison, right? Mm. And he's also two months into a hunger strike. Right. So it's a protest vote, basically. It's like people are like, well, we're going to vote for this dying guy because we support his cause. And that's how we will mm-hmm. show it. Margaret Thatcher, who was trying to give Margaret's a bad name, said crime is crime. There's no special concessions. Like, we're not going to treat anyone like prisoners of war. And this guy can't sit even though he's been elected. Fuck democracy, you know. And winning an election while starving yourself is a really good way to get media attention for your hunger strike. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also a good way to get the UK to pass a law specifically for to make sure no one ever does what you do again. And this is actually, the reason that they hadn't really thought about this before, I think, is that this is when the IRA came around to electoralism as a strategy. Before that, they were abstentationists, right? They refused to vote. And then eventually they're like, all right, fine, we'll just start fucking voting in nationalists because we actually are the majority of people here, you know? Mm-hmm. On his 66th day of hunger striking, Bobby Sands, who was 27 years old, died. No. Um, more than 100,000 people came to his funeral. France, the, Mar- Margaret Thatcher was like, fuck you, I don't care. She wrote a whole bunch of stuff basically being like he's an evil terrorist trying to blackmail us with his <sighs> life. Such a bad Margaret. I'm yeah. Sorry. No, I mean... I no, thing, I'm sorry that you're Margaret and yeah. she has that name. That's I know. that's that's not fair. I know. We gotta come up with gotta give her a different name just to take it back for the Margarets. Monster Thatcher. Yeah. Well I'll think about it. Sorry that bad Thatcher. Get better. Can't use baddie, apparently. <laughs> I've learned on this show that baddie means good. So No, baddie means like like Cardi B's a baddie. Yeah. Yes, no, he is. no, 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 no. Like, Ian, Ian was, was like, I'm so, Ian texted me after editing that episode and was like, was like, I was so confused. And then you explained it to Margaret and then, and then it made sense. <laughs> <laughs> In my mind, baddie is like the, are we the baddie sketch where the Nazis have to admit that they're the, might be on the wrong side. No. Uh, anyway. Uh, no. <laughs> anyway. We've, 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 time has progressed since then, I suppose. I, I am now aware. Yeah. Do you know what else uh, you should be aware of? That it's uh, time for an ad break. So, oh. Well, if you want to be a baddie, <laughs> you should wear clothing that is advertised. You know, actually, whether or not these companies advertise clothing, you should try to buy clothing from them. You should yeah. write them and say... Make it happen. Please sell me... Not t-shirts, not branded stuff. Like, I, I want them to make... Um, article articles of clothing like I want to see their textile capacity quilts uh, yeah blankets yeah. blankets you could wear a blanket. you could start your own blanket protest by buying blankets from mm-hmm. the gold vendors who are gonna come on to sell you that here you go are you ready to share some joy and celebrate international women's day M&M's has partnered with iHeart for women take the mic treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&Ms, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness. 
kick back and spread some positivity into the world. From smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports, on stages, and at the box office, women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to Women Take the Mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs, and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. You're listening to this podcast, so I know you care about history and what a period we're living through right now, specifically when it comes to the situation in Israel and Gaza. Right now, you're hearing a lot of loud voices screaming about genocide, massacre, and occupation. But these words, slogans, and various headlines are not enough to help you understand what is happening over there. And that's where this podcast comes in. Check out Unpacking Israeli History. Catch up on previous seasons and enjoy new episodes from Season 6 each week, where they cover many of the topics that are relevant to what's going on in Israel today. From the history of infamous terror groups like Hamas and Hezbollah, to the story of Nakba, to Israel's disengagement from Gaza in 2005, there's so much to uncover. Unpacking Israeli history cuts through the noise and helps you understand Israel's present through understanding Israel's history. So educate yourself. Learn the history behind the headlines. Find Unpacking Israeli History wherever you listen to podcasts. And we're back. We're listing off a bunch of people who died. Uh, after Bobby Sands, Francis Hughes died next. Then Raymond McCreesh, then Patsy O'Hara, who had once been shot at the age of 14 by a British soldier. Joe McDonnell, Martin Herson, Kevin Lynch, Kieran Doherty, Thomas McIlwee, and Michael Devine died. Ten people died. They were all in their, all in their 20s. Oh. And the strike ended in a sort of draw. Eventually, the other hunger strikers withdrew because a lot of their families were like, Look, even if you fall unconscious, if you fall unconscious, we're going to allow medical intervention. Mm. So they withdrew and England declared it a victory. Um, But the strikers won four of their demands during this. They won everything but the right to avoid work. And the other hunger strikers didn't want to withdraw because they were like, no, Bobby Sands has died for this. We can't turn our backs now, you know, but it basically their hands were forced. Um, because you can't control what happens to you when you're unconscious. But they actually won their fifth demand soon enough. They won it through another means, a kind of sideways means. They won it through a means that's called the Great Escape. Ooh. Yeah. Tell me more. (laughs) 
Another thing that people in prison sometimes choose to do is on the 20th, 20th, 25th of September, 1983, 38 IRA prisoners broke out of jail. This is a maximum security prison. This is like considered like, I mean, it's Her wow. Majesty's fucking maze, right? How do they do it? Do we know how they did oh, it? Oh, we, we do. Um, oh gosh. This they is like wounded, prison break original. Yeah. They wounded 20 guards in the process. Hell yeah. They inadvertently killed one who died of a heart attack. Uh, <laughs> to be fair, they'd also <laughs> Sorry, stabbed the guy. No, laugh, I know, but... I know. To be fair, they'd also stabbed the guy, but later a coroner's report was like, actually, the heart attack was unrelated to the stabbings. Whoa. And so, like, someone who got caught during all of this actually had their charges lessened because they hadn't, they hadn't they murdered. They didn't kill him. The, the heart attack did. Yeah. Six handguns had been smuggled into the prison. And so like a cell block or whatever, takes uh, takes the guards prisoner. Some of them were shot and stabbed as necessary, like people who like tried to run to set the alarm and stuff, and stuff like that. The escapees got out of the cell block and they hijacked a truck. They're still inside the prison yard, right? And then they took the truck over to the gatehouse. They took over the gatehouse, taking over pr- guards there. And then they tried to drive out, but the exit was blocked by cars. So they climbed over the fence and they made it free. And this was the largest prison break in British history. And I will say, Britain, if you don't want to take that L, just admit that it was Ireland and not Britain. And then it wasn't the largest jailbreak in British history. Wow. That's an easy out. You really... Yeah. I found the solution. Yeah. About half of the men stayed free. Some rejoined active duty and others moved to Ireland or the US. Basically, like they get back to IRA headquarters and the IRA is like, look, you can either come back to active duty or we will buy you like tickets and get you whatever you need to move to the US um, or uh, Ireland. And about it was about half and half what people chose to do. A lot of the people who moved to Ireland or the US later got arrested. They got caught and they, had, they were facing extradition to very... But then a lot of them successfully fought that extradition, both in the US and Ireland. There was a lot of places where like, no, we're not going to extradite you. You're political prisoners. You're so obviously political prisoners. Mm-hmm. And two of the escapees were never heard from again. But the heroes of this escape was that there was a rear guard. When they took all of the guards hostage in the cell block, they needed someone to stay behind to keep the guards from putting up the, the uh, calling the alarm to give everyone mm-hmm. time to get out. So a couple people stayed there and kept the guards hostage. And then once everyone had had enough time to escape, they went back to their cells. Wow. They basically fell on the proverbial grenade. Yeah, yeah. And the thing that happened is, after this escape, the work camps at Her Majesty's prison maze were shut down because, like, prisoners were no longer, like, trusted to work. Right. So the strikers won their fifth demand. That's great. That's great to hear. That's, yeah. Don't give us all five of our demands. We're going to stab and shoot people until you do. Yeah. Is what yeah. happened when not when nonviolence turns violent. Yeah, um, which is That's when you, you don't get. let it be nonviolent. Yeah, exactly. And just to to briefly wrap up the Irish situation with it in 2023, Sinn Fein, which is the socialist political party that grew out of the IRA, they are now the largest political party in Northern Ireland. The UK's slide into right wing politics and out of the EU helped that happen, right? Because Northern Irish people were like. Wait, 
we don't want to leave the fucking EU. We'd rather join Ireland and stay with the EU, you know? Um, and of course, Star Trek has predicted an Irish unification of 2024. Uh, so... Just around the corner. Yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah. But now we're going to go 2,600 miles from Ireland to another mm-hmm. country that has struggled for recognition and freedom because of some decision that England made. Fucking England. Yeah. Sorry to God. The country of Palestine. To, to draw the connections, Ireland is trying to recognize Palestine as a state. Both of the lower houses have passed a motion to recognize Palestine, but the like government, I think that means an executive branch or whoever makes the decisions after the lower houses. I don't actually know enough about English, Irish politics. Um, they won't go for it until it's formally acknowledged by the rest of Europe. So they're ignoring what the majority of Irish people want, which is to recognize Palestine. They are the first EU country to condemn Israel's de facto annexation of Palestinian land. And as we talked about, it's not because Irish people are like inherently cooler. It's because they have a lot in fucking common. Yeah. Sinn Féin, the the IRA's political party, essentially, or the political party came out of the IRA, wants to see the Israeli ambassador removed from the Republic of Ireland. And John Boyne, the foreign affairs speaker for the party, told Al Jazeera once, The time has gone for words of condemnation. Now is the time to take decisive action against a lawbreaker that presides over an apartheid system. God, that's... That's the most attractive thing I've ever heard an Irish person say. That is, <laughs> I know, right? I love, I love Ireland. Yeah. Love it. It's also just like, I don't know. I think more, I don't think enough people know that. Like, know just how much Ireland, like, it's an advocate for Palestine. I yeah. think the majority of people don't realize, like, this very Caucasian place yeah. that's, like, known for other things is also pretty fucking badass and, like, the biggest advocate for, like, people that don't have a voice. Yeah. I just think that's pretty cool. So if you're Irish out there, sick. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, like, particularly funny because, like, Irish-American is, like, one of the primary white identities that Americans will cling to. But the way that Irish-Americans cling to it is in this weird right-wing way. And I've talked about this before, but there's nothing more depressing than watching, listening to IRA songs on YouTube and seeing all the comments from right-wing U.S. people being like, that's right, Republicans, you're our guys. And then like all the Irish people have to be like, we're socialists. That's what Irish, that's what Irish yeah. Republican means. People don't know the meaning of different words, yeah. different places. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of words that have a lot of meanings that are complicated, we're going to talk about Zionism now. Strap in. Irish leftists used to have more sympathies for Zionism before 1937 uh, because they had sympathies for a stateless people. Um, But they were not excited. When I say they, I'm talking about like large groups and governments and stuff. I'm not trying to say every individual Irish person is good or bad, right? Um, But they were not excited about the partition and the creation of an ethnostate. If folks want to learn more about what's going on in Palestine, and we're going to talk a little bit more, but I really recommend... Uh, there's this podcast, Shireen, that you might have heard of that covers mm. a lot about what's going on in Palestine. It's uh, it's called It Could Happen Here. And if people look up any episodes that Shireen has done, it is one of the best sources that I'm oh, wow. aware of. It's where I get a lot I of my information. Don't, don't give me too much credit. There are a lot of people doing good stuff talking about Palestine. But I, I do try to give people the bare minimum of what they should know because no one else is talking about it. So yeah. I, ha- I I got to do it. But yeah. thank you for that shout out. I wasn't sure where you were going with that, to be honest. <laughs> no, no. It, like, it's, it's, I mean, well, I don't know. 
I feel like when I came up into politics, I feel like talking about what's going on in Palestine was like everywhere. And I feel like that's yeah. not as much the case anymore. And I have complicated ideas about what the reasons for that might be. Yeah. But it's a shame. Yeah. I think, I mean, people, not people, but like the media, this big word, yeah. like makes it so that it's too complicated to talk about for the majority of people, right? Yeah. Like what you said about earlier, like it's not about religion for the process. Like it's not just yeah. about religion for for the Irish and the English. Uh, it's the same thing. It's not yeah. this like ancient religious conflict that is like unsolvable. It's actually right. much more simple than that and much more like violent and evil than than this complicated I don't know it just it's it's, it's all a bunch of fucking yeah. words tossed around making 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 people confused but yeah I think a power structure knowing more about Palestine is like even even if something doesn't affect you I think it is shameful if you don't give a shit about people people suffering yeah. in another part of the world I don't think that's an excuse that I'm willing to accept yeah though so, yeah and especially when our tax money is one of the primary things that fuels yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I know more about Jewish history than I know about Palestinian history. And so some of what I'm going to talk about is from this perspective, uh, just literally to understand part of what creates that or part of what's going into that. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk about Zionism. This is, I ran this past one, I, last night I'm like running all this past one of my anarchist Jewish friends about how to talk about this stuff. In the 20th century, most Jews lived in the diaspora, which is the spread out community no longer where it culturally originated from and without a specific homeland. There's roughly three attitudes that were happening about how to handle this. Anti-Zionism, leftist Zionism, and right-wing Zionism. Anti-Zionism, which was largely leftist, said basically, this culture that we've built in the diaspora is also beautiful and is not to be abandoned and we have to fight for our rights here where we are, um, with here being largely Eastern Europe and the East Coast of the U.S., with Warsaw and New York City as the, I believe, the two largest population centers for Jews. We talk a little bit more about this relationship in the Warsaw Ghetto episode with Miriam, who's my friend who I was, well, who I was trying to talk to about all of this. And this anti-Zionism was largely internationalist and therefore opposed to anything like nationalism. And this tended to include the anarchists and many of the communist Jews, which was a huge percentage of the Jews uh, in both Eastern Europe and New York City. There's also some right-wing or, I guess, religiously conservative anti-Zionism from within Judaism at this time, which is basically the idea that Judaism is a spiritual project and not a political one. And that for some people, Jewish emigration to Palestine was actually a sin that contradicted the will of God, having to do with more complicated stuff that is above my head about, like... Mm -hmm prophecy and such. Then there's left-wing Zionism, which is uh, sometimes conflated with, or is the same thing, then diagrammed with labor Zionism, which is basically like, well, we should go back to Palestine in mass, but not necessarily, for some people it was and some people it wasn't, let's set up a specific separate state. Um, they were split on that. It was also very specifically, we don't want Western powers to give us a state. We want to organize a socialist society of kibbutz, communal farms, and go from there. Um, in the end, a lot of the labor Zionists did a lot of the really bad shit. A lot of the early Israel bad stuff, like the displacement of 700,000 Palestinian Arabs during the 1948 war. Yeah. The, ne the Nakba, the, yeah. the catastrophe is what it's called. Yeah. 
that was largely perpetrated by left-wing Zionists, just to be upfront about that. Yeah. Um, within labor Zionism, you also have what's called cultural Zionism, where which Albert Einstein considered himself a cultural Zionist, which uh, supported the Jewish return to the homeland, but only in the context of Jewish-Arab cooperation. And it was opposed to the creation of a Jewish state with, now I'm quoting Einstein, with, quote, borders and army and a measure of temporal power. And a lot of the Jewish anarchists who weren't anti-Zionists fell into this category where clearly anarchists don't usually advocate for the creation of a state. They tended to present what was called the binational solution, which is a single state with Arab and Jewish equality. Today, Israeli's anarchist movement largely calls for the no-state solution, which is just sort of the, like, let's get rid of all the governments, we're anarchists thing. Mm-hmm. Also, a lot of these leftist Zionists show up to lay the groundwork, right? Um, during all the Zionist talks, some Jewish folks begin moving to Palestine only to realize, oh, this would be really bad. Uh, the communists in particular recognized this in the 1920s. Several showed up ready to form like socialist parties and were like, oh, it's actually mostly Arabs living here. We like literally didn't know that because we live in a very strange media sphere in the 1920s. It would actually be really shitty and discriminatory if we set up a Jewish state, even a communist one. And so those folks became anti-Zionists and worked alongside Arab workers to set up things like the Palestinian Communist Party. Of course, communism had this wonderful thing happen where Joseph Stalin uh, came and killed all the people doing good things within it. Um, my dog doesn't approve of Joseph Stalin. I'm hey. shocked by this. Um, <laughs> good boy. And uh, yeah. You've raised him well. <laughs> one of the guys behind this like conversion to anti-Zionism within leftist Zionism, his name was Joseph Berger Barzali. Uh, he wound up caught in Stalin's purges and sent to Siberia, right? Um, that's your reward for being a morally consistent communist in the 1920s. Then there's right-wing Zionism. Right-wing Zionism is, Zionism is well, we're going to go back and get what's ours and fuck everyone else. During the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising, all three factions were present. This is where I know more about it from, right? It's the research I did for that episode. Uh, but until the very end, the leftists wouldn't throw down with the right-wing Zionists because they fucking hated them because they were fascists. And they were like, the only thing that's different between you and the Nazis is that the Nazis are currently in control. Obviously, the Jews weren't the only folks who were pondering the impact of large-scale immigration to Palestine. The Arab people who lived there uh, at the time... Palestine was 83% Arab, 11% Christian, and 5% Jewish uh, around the turn of the century. They were like, this might not go great. And they were right. By Arab, you mean Muslim, right? What, I do. I actually, now I'm realizing that, that I like, I actually, I'm actually curious. When I was doing this research, a lot of things would specifically be like Arab and Jewish as like the way to contrast things um, rather than Muslim and yeah, Jewish. Yeah, I don't like that at all. Okay, no, that's, I, that's really good to know. And I'm... Yeah. I mean, people have different mm-hmm. opinions on it. I just think... It furthers this. I mean, part of me does appreciate it because mm-hmm. it kind of equates both being Arab and actually, no, that's not what I want meant to say. You know how like the word Jewish can be both cultural and religious. Yes, I think that's true for a lot of religions. I think that's true for Christianity and yeah. Islam. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I think it gets overlooked. But they all. It would be different if they said Muslim and Jewish and they were equating it that way. But I think their version of that mm-hmm. is to say Arab. But that's assuming that the Christians weren't also Arab. I know, which is weird. They were all Arab in my, there were just different religions that all actually got along great before 
the fucking British got involved. Yeah. But um, but yeah, I think that's where people get confused because before like the the mass like stealing of homes and mm-hmm. the catastrophe and all that stuff, uh, there weren't a lot of white European Jews in Palestine. Yeah. You know? Like I think that's when the racial stuff started changing, in in my opinion. I don't know. No, Maybe no, that that's incredibly useful context. I as I was reading it, I was like I went back and forth about like how I was going to try and present the stuff and I just didn't know, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I really appreciate yeah. that. No, of course. And I also think it's like, uh, some, like a, a lot of Arabs are white passing. So I think it's kind right. of confusing to even like differentiate it sometimes, but there is a huge difference. Like in my opinion of Arab versus like a, like a white European yeah. X, Y, and Z. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, uh, all the Arab states or countries, rather, like Syria, Lebanon, Palestine, all the religions commingled so seamlessly and beautifully. Like in Syria, even when I was growing up there, mm-hmm. like uh, like when I was when I would visit as a teenager or like a young adult or like kid or whatever the shit. Like since I was like two, my grandpa would like go on his daily walks. He would go pray at the masjid. Grab some bread from the Jewish baker. Grab yeah. some the witness to the from the Christian guy. No one fucking gives a shit, yeah. you know, until it's become this land grab and like literal genocide. Yeah. Like it, it didn't have to go that way. Is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no that that makes sense to me, and it tracks with the the bit I've read about it. And I'm kind of curious. I'm under the impression that some of the left left Zionists were like. We just want to go participate in the existing, like, happy everyone gets along mm-hmm. in Palestine thing. And obviously, the larger portion of them created a state and, you know. I don't think it actually is a thing. Mm-hmm. I think the way it started, the mm-hmm. fact that you've exiled and murdered and massacred people, if that's how you're going to start, oh yeah, there is no peaceful cooperation after that. Like, it's so... Oh, totally. Uh, you know, like, I think I think it's kind of like a pipe dream, unfortunately, when people kind of go that route, because even though they have good intentions, it is really naive and low-key stupid. Sorry, sorry, maybe that's too harsh. But I just don't think it's reasonable to be like, for example, oh, uh, the Native Americans and indigenous people... And and the pilgrims, they're friends now. Like, no, it's it's that's not how that works. You, right. you know, I don't know. I think it's just as ridiculous as that. But sorry, I, I can rant about this forever, and I apologize. No, I mean, there's a reason that had you as the guest on this episode. Okay. <laughs> you know, like, um, I, I in this case, I was I was speaking specifically about the like before, like the like like turn of the century. Oh, that's what you mean. Stuff. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I got no, no, myself no. An angry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, whatever the intentions of the various wings of its Jewish founders, what Israel became is a settler apartheid state founded on this genocide and and the Nakba. Yeah. I think, okay, sorry, mm-hmm. just to go back to what you were yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. There is, oh, I, now that I know the time period or like the bef- mm-hmm. pre-Israel thing you're talking about, I don't think people realize that Christianity, Judaism, and Islam are basically the same religion, just at different time periods. Like, yeah. Christianity is the continuation of Judaism, and Islam is the continuation of both Judaism and Christianity. Like, it's just, like, extending the timeline. And that's why the land of Palestine and the Dome of the Rock and all of that, it's its sacred. That space is sacred to all of them. Yeah. There's a reason for that, because this, they're all extremely similar and based on the same ideals of, like, 
a one god religion and all this stuff. So I think there was a time when it was completely just cultural and vibrant. And I'm sure there were yeah. problems like there are everywhere. But I think people don't realize that now. And they still see Islam as being this like different thing and yeah, Judaism totally. is different and Christianity is different when really they're all the fucking same. Like <laughs> Allah just means God. Like that's, that's just the Arabic word for God. It's yeah. not a different God. It's the same fucking God. Yeah. And Judas and not Judas, <laughs> Jesus and Moses are both like really important prophets for Muslims. And I, I don't think people know that. Yeah. I don't know. So I only again, learned that tangent, as an adult. I apologize. No, I mean, I, yeah. I only learned that Jesus was an important prophet to Islam as an adult, but I, I learned yeah. almost nothing about Islam as a kid. And then, yeah. Like, I mean, why should you? I don't, I don't follow you for that. I mean, uh, yeah. Like I'm glad I've taken the time to learn as an adult and I would recommend that other people do too. Um, yeah. Speaking of the continuation of it, Sinead O'Connor, who died yesterday as we record this, um, left the Catholic Church because it was a horrible, monstrous thing that attacked her, but then still saw it very hard to believe um, and wound up at the end of her life converting to Islam. R.I.P. Yeah. Uh, I'm just sad about it. So, yeah. If you haven't been keeping track, what's going on in... Well, actually, before we talk about the hunger strikes in Palestine, we should talk about the stuff, things. Here you go. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. You're listening to this podcast, so I know you care about history and what a period we're living through right now, specifically when it comes to the situation in Israel and Gaza. 
Right now, you're hearing a lot of loud voices screaming about genocide, massacre, and occupation. But these words, slogans, and various headlines are not enough to help you understand what is happening over there. And that's where this podcast comes in. Check out Unpacking Israeli History, catch up on previous seasons, and enjoy new episodes from Season 6 each week, where they cover many of the topics that are relevant to what's going on in Israel today. From the history of infamous terror groups like Hamas and Hezbollah, to the story of Nakba, to Israel's disengagement from Gaza in 2005, there's so much to uncover. Unpacking Israeli history cuts through the noise and helps you understand Israel's present through understanding Israel's history. So educate yourself. Learn the history behind the headlines. Find Unpacking Israeli history wherever you listen to podcasts. And we're back. We're going to talk about some Palestinian hunger strikes. And we're going to talk about it because in the context of uh, apartheid and displacement and just disproportionate retribution and just raw oppression, right? Um, Palestinians are kept in open-air prisons and treated worse than it is um, easy to imagine. The Troubles, the Irish thing, that was bad. That was a bad time to live in Ireland. My family in Ireland didn't like to talk about them and wish that they could cut, just not talk about politics. Civilians were killed, lots of civilians. Killing civilians is immoral. Car bombs in crowded places is immoral. It's bad. Many freedom fighters lose their legitimacy in my eyes when they do shit like that. But we can see why they did it. We can see, like, and we can support an overall cause and some of their actions and without necessarily supporting all of the actions that all individuals take. Um, and without drawing a false moral equivalence between the violence of a colonial authority state and the violence of the people resisting it. That's my rant. I had the advantage yeah. I got to write my rant down. <laughs> no, that was very eloquent. I, I liked it. But yeah, it's like the similar thing of like, what do you say, like a nail bomb versus like rocks? It's literally yeah. the same thing. It's like, it's... Yeah. I mean, Palestine is a little... It's very clear just because like they don't have any kind of army versus the most powerful army in the world. Yeah. So that's like a little bit silly to even try. But yeah, I, don't, I know what you mean. No, totally. Um... So yeah, uh, there's an order of magnitude difference in the violence that is put upon the Palestinian people and the, that they put back. Um, while I was writing this script, I saw footage of the occupation pouring cement into a spring like a, to cement it up so that people couldn't grow food and like have access to water, which is actually a, a war crime, which mm -hmm. doesn't matter <laughs> because yeah. power is what matters to people. This is okay. Sorry, mm -hmm. my last little tangent. I yeah. apologize. Um, I actually can't promise that I might do this again. Um, what really confounds me, I guess, about a certain brand of Zionism, where it's about returning to the homeland and loving the homeland, and that's where the the, mm -hmm. the beauty will be, and all everyone will be united. What I don't understand is like if you gave a shit about the land you're on, you wouldn't actively destroy it. You wouldn't like <laughs> there's a whole thing I did an episode about or yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I had an episode about olive trees in Palestine yeah. like a couple months ago. And literally there's a whole system of like uprooting olive trees and destroying farms and all of these things that really just make you realize it's not about this beautiful notion of X Y and Z. It's literally about destroying something that's not yours and yeah. pretending that it is after that. Yeah. And I think that is just like one of my biggest arguments in face of that like retort of like yeah. this is our beautiful place to live. Like no, 
you're cementing springs and rooting out olive trees where yeah. they're like meant to grow. Yeah. That makes no sense to me. So that's always really just like really bewildered me, to be honest. Like, I don't know what the, the defenses for that when it comes to the land of Palestine. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Power Sorry. is a hell of a drug. <laughs> yeah. It's my, like, there's a reason that the one ring must be cast into the fires of Mount Doom. Ha! Wasn't sure I was going to get in a Lord of the Rings reference in this episode, but I did. It's impressive. It's impressive. <laughs> so, a lot of Palestinian folks hunger strike, specifically Palestinian prisoners. Specifically, Palestinian prisoners who are held, oh, it's going to be the name of it's in my script, but I forget. Much like how the Irish were allowed to be held without any charges or trial. Mm-hmm. And Israel has decided that it is legal for them to hold people on secret evidence that no one ever sees um, and hold people without charges and without trial. Just the yeah. same, the, the, there's no rule of law. You know, there's no. no due process of law. And now it's on video everywhere. Like they just arrest people on the street, like boys usually. Yeah. Like, like not even, like teenage boys just get sent to jail and are, are there for years. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So in 2017, on Palestinian Prisoners Day, which is April 17th, 1,500 Palestinian political prisoners started a hunger strike to improve con- prison conditions, and they taking only salt water. And you know what their demands were? It wasn't free Palestine, although that is a valid and desirable thing, but it's not the kind of thing you win with hunger strikes. They didn't even have the five demands of our IRA folks. They wanted a public telephone so they could talk to their families. They wanted bi-monthly family visits. They wanted to be able to take photos with their families. They wanted air conditioning. Not a famously cold place, Palestine. They also wanted the end of imprisonment without trial. It was called administrative detention, where people can be held on secret evidence for years. It still exists in Israel. Currently, there's more than a thousand Palestinians being held without charges or evidence. Everyone knows Guantanamo Bay is bad, right? Because it had no due process of law. Guantanamo Bay currently holds 31 prisoners. Hunger strikes in Palestine have been going on for decades. Here's some of them. In 1969, prisoners struck for enough food and a repeal on the ban of writing letters. Uh, and no more being forced to call the guards sir. Those were their demands. It was broken by the strikers being thrown in solitary confinement, which is, of course, very normal to an American audience, but it shouldn't be because it is absolutely classified as torture under that above-mentioned useless international law. Nearby, the same year, some strikers won stationary. Like, that is the level of rights that they're fighting for. In 1970, some women prisoners fought for, let us have sanitary products that the Red Cross is trying to give us. Um, They had to starve themselves in order to say, please let the Red fucking Cross give us some goddamn sanitary products. (laughs) <laughs> I'm kind of angry. Sorry, I'm just getting angry. No, I'm angrier. getting angrier too. Um, <laughs> in 1970, a political prisoner named Abdul Qader Abu Al-Tham was murdered by guards. He was hunger striking for stationary and for prisoners to be able to get clothes from their family. When guards force fed him, they put a tube into his lungs instead of his stomach. Um, he will not be the last person killed by this negligence and or malice. And since this is the only place I've ever read about this happening, I think it's fucking malice, but I don't know. Yeah. I 100 I mean, you know how I feel, but yeah. yeah. 1976, they were striking for stationary and to replace plastic mattresses with actual mattresses. 
The prison said yes. They stopped striking. The prisoner, the prison was like, nah, just kidding. Fuck you. Uh, in 1980. Sounds about right. Yeah. In 1980, two more prisoners, Rasim Holloway and uh, Ali Jafari, were murdered by force feeding, once again, just into the lungs. Their strike wins, um, and the conditions are improved. In 1984, a 13 day strike by 800 prisoners won ventilation. They won better food, radio, TV, and clothes. This is one of the more successful ones. In 1987, 3,000 prisoners go on strike for 20 days. They don't win. And if you're... Con- There's like 3,000 mm-hmm. 3, prisoners. Yeah. What one exists yeah. in these prisons. <laughs> Two is not all of them. I know. And three go on a hunger strike. Like That is just... I know. <laughs> That's actually the next part. The next thing I wrote enraged. in my script. No, no, no. I, I wrote, look, I'm just going to say it. If your country of 10 million people has 3,000 political prisoners, that's too many and you're doing something bad. Yeah. That, yes. Thank you, Margaret. Yeah. Or 7,000 prisoners went on strike in 1992. <sighs> and which is, I don't know if this is to be fair or not. This is more than there are currently uh, Palestinian political prisoners. But 7,000 prisoners went on strike in 1992, and they won a decent amount. They shut down an isolation unit. They stopped strip searches. Uh, Prisoners were allowed to cook their own meals, and they got more family visitation. But four years later, in 2000, they're striking again for some of the same shit, like let us have access to phones, stop putting people in solitary. In 2004, 4,000 prisoners strike for phones and shit like that. Again, not like cell phones to hang out on the internet all day, but like literally can we have a fucking pay phone so we can talk to our families. The prisons, instead of giving the 4,000 prisoners anything, they deny them books and newspapers and cigarettes and salt um, and family visits. No salt in the desert. There's more than that. There's more hunger strikes than that because they get colonial promises, which are nothing. Um, it's true when the U.S. promises shit to indigenous people. It's true when England promises shit to the Irish people. And it's true when Israel promises shit to the Palestinian people. You ever heard of Tristan Anderson? He's an American activist. Sounds familiar, but please tell me more. Um, I knew him. I'm using the past tense only because I haven't talked to him in a long time, not because he's dead. He's an American activist. Uh, I haven't seen him in years. I haven't seen him since before. What, what happens here? In 2009, he was working with the International Solidarity Movement in the West Bank, um, and he was standing next to his Jewish partner when an Israeli soldier shot a baton round at his face, uh, even though he was observing the protests at a distance. And this was a round intended to be fired from around 400 meters at an arc and not very specifically not designed to be shot at close range or directly at people. It was shot at 60 meters directly and it shattered his skull. Um, Part of his brain had to be removed and he's been paralyzed and mentally disabled and in need of round-the-clock care ever since. Um, the Israeli government didn't file any charges against the soldiers who shot him. His family sued the state of Israel. His partner, Gabby Silverman, came to support him and care for him during the trial. From an article on, his, on this trial, the civil trial, published by the IMEMC, quote, As soon as the court hearing ended, Silverman, who is Jewish, received a formal order that she must leave the state of Israel within the next seven days, The reasons stated on the paperwork included insufficient proof that there was a lawsuit going on and insufficient proof that she was a Jew. Well. This isn't 
The Times of Israel had actually erased Silverman's Jewishness before. They had a headline, quote, pro-Palestinian activists assault Jewish woman in Oakland because Gabby Silverman and other people threw a, a rally for, um, for Tristan, right? And a Zionist came to the rally for Silverman's maimed partner and wrote Zionist slogans on the ground in chalk. So Silverman and others ran the Zionist out. So according to the Times of Israel, the, the Zionist gets to be called a Jewish woman, but Silverman is just a pro-Palestinian activist. Mm-hmm. Because Israel is a home for, homeland for all Jews, except for the ones who support Palestine. Also, just the, the just to harp on this like not enough proof thing, mm-hmm. literally like 99% of people that are like, hey, I'm Jewish can go on birthright. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's so fucking easy for a lot of like Jewish people, no matter if it's cultural or whatever, yeah. to go on fucking birthright. It's not even. <sighs> anyway, I mean, this is just clearly just uh, yeah backwards and not what they say it is. But yes. yeah, no, totally. Like, yeah, if she had shown wanted to be like, hey, I anyway, whatever. OK, a month after Tristan was shot, a 30 year old Palestinian man named Basimabu Rame was killed by a soldier who shot a tear gas canister at his, into his chest at a short range. In just the first half of this year, Israel has killed 112 Palestinians. Palestine only has 5 million people total. This is like if some foreign country killed 7,400 Americans in the first half of this year. I I, I appreciate you making that comparison because year after year, they kill hundreds of people. And I don't know, the world just goes on, obviously. Yeah. But... I don't know. And the things you're mentioning, it's it's not like a isolated occurrence to like fire someone at close range or like yeah. literally shoot like a sniper shooting a reporter in the head yeah. uh that has a press jacket on or whatever. I think it's, it's completely it's just normal. vile. Yeah. It's vile and, and normalized and yeah. I always plug this movie and even though it's been a while since it's come out, uh I think it's a good example of just like how just What's the word I'm looking for? Like, vile is not the, the uh, dis- like, evil enough mm-hmm. to describe it, but Gaza Fights for Freedom is a film okay. by activist Abby Martin, and it's shot by cinemat- cinematographers in Gaza. Okay. Or just, like, people that have cameras in Gaza, and, like, they put the, the footage together, and you see IDF soldiers do heinous things, like... Like, it's like they're playing a video game. Like, they shoot at someone, and they're like, oh, I got him. Like, yeah. yeah, and they're, like, cheering, and they're whatever. And they're, they're children. Like, it's a lot of them are, like, the majority of Palestinians, at least in Gaza, are children. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, they're, like, below the age of, like, 18 or something. So, as we're talking about this stuff, and you're hearing, like, they fired a grenade at close range or whatever, these are not isolated incidents, yeah. if anything. They're just, like, so normalized and unpunished that they just continue to happen. Totally. And it's, it just makes me so furious because, I don't know, I, I, I'm someone, I have a really hard time reading about Middle Eastern news personally. Mm-hmm. Like it used to, like I just, especially after like the Syrian civil, I, I didn't want to call it a civil war. It's like a fucking massacre. Yeah. But it's like seeing photos of like 
children like that look like my cousins or like me not that they have to look like me but it just like really fucked me up <laughs> yeah and it should fuck everyone up is my thing i would be fucked up just point blank with any kind like you know what i mean like it's not yeah you weren't like oh whatever i don't care about the irish people when i was telling the irish part of the story yeah you know like yeah it's human but i think similar yeah. to like i think the vast majority of the world is accustomed to seeing certain mm -hmm. types of people be killed on camera or yep. uh, have violence done against them or the waves bring them on sh their dead bodies on shore, yeah. whatever it is. There is a sh there's just like people of color, like specifically I'm talking about like black Americans and like Arabs and like anyone else that's like marginalized and like darker skinned. Yeah. We're just so used to seeing them suffer and it makes me so mad because it's, it's the, the way it's normalized is just so evil yeah. I, I, I don't know there's there's no I, I don't have the vocabulary to actually explain just how angry i am but i don't know i don't know i, I, I have nothing else to say i'm gonna cry <laughs> no i i'm uh, i i agree it's, um yeah it just makes me mad everything makes me mad and israel is the fucking just the stupidest excuse for I don't know, any kind of quote-unquote democracy like, or whatever they want to call it. It's just like this, yeah. just like our police, like they're not held accountable for anything and yeah. they're not going to stop until someone does something and they probably won't. And so it's just like you have these Palestinians that like literally are, like you know how PTSD is something that like, oh, it can happen to you sometimes if like you are mm -hmm. taken out of the context that you gave you that PTSD they did a study, and I'm misquoting it probably, but like the vast majority of Palestinian children are stuck in the state of PTSD because they're just used to the terror and yeah and violence that they have always known and will only probably ever know in, in their lifetime. And that makes me really fucking upset because Yeah. Because it just should and whatever. Okay, I'm done. I'm really sorry. <laughs> no, I, ah! I again, literally why I'm glad you're the guest. I, I'm like sweaty now. I mean, I'm yeah. also sweaty because it's hot. That's not really <laughs> the only reason, but I'm just angry and sweaty and it's really easy for me to feel helpless. I think it's probably the same mm -hmm. for a lot of people. It's like, well, what can we do? And I think like you talking about it is making a difference. Like me having episodes and it could happen here is helping people be aware just how not okay it is or just how the media has presented it to be in a different way. Yeah. I think that is a great starting point. And with time over these like decades, I guess, or even just like the past like 10 years, it has become more acceptable to vocally support Palestine. It hasn't become like great, yeah. but it's become more acceptable to even like broach that subject when it comes to like celebrities and stuff. And I think that's a little baby step that makes me hopeful. Yeah. And I, we're so off topic now. I'm so sorry. I'm no, like just no. mad. <laughs> I mean, I think about... Okay, I think about how it was 800 or 900 years after the first time that England colonized Ireland before Ireland won something like independence. Mm -hmm. And Ireland is still fighting for independence, right? Um, coming on a thousand years into colonization. And it gives me hope for uh, the indigenous communities of North America um, who are also living in a settler state the united states yeah. is a settler state it gives me hope that decolonization is possible and 
I think thinking about it's like they want to normalize stuff and denormalizing it I think is so important and I think that what happens yeah what happens to the Palestinian people is is normalized and we need mm-hmm. to stop that you know um yeah. and like not to be like, oh, don't worry, another eight hundred years. No, 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 I know what free. you're saying, but like, but it it is a, a it, long it is like a sliver struggle. of hope. No, you're right. Yeah. It's it's yeah. I think the last thing I'll say before you continue, mm-hmm. and I will let you continue. I swear. <laughs> I swear. Uh-huh. But we we talk about shame, right? And yeah. how hunger strikes are supposed to will the captors or the mm-hmm. the oppressors into feeling so shameful that they change what they're doing. I think especially now with all the videos and cameras and iPhone footage and everything else that's accessible that like actually portray the IDF doing disgusting things. They don't have any shame. They're past that. I really think there are some people that are so, go ahead. They don't feel shame. No, sorry. I'm I'm sorry. I'm totally interrupting you. No, 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 no. no. I was kind of just starting to (laughs) ramble. I think there's, they're an example of a, body that has held so, ha, has been not mm-hmm. held accountable at all to the point where like shame is not even even crosses their mind does that make sense no totally but i and i think that it's like it's less that the person will feel shame and more that they will be shamed right yes yes and like yes. and actually eh, to bring it back to the last example the the last hunger striker i'm gonna talk about is actually the reason i did this whole fucking okay yes. week's episode and it's going to come back to this. I apologize. Continue. No, no, I don't. Um, there's a man named uh, Khadir Adnan, uh, and he was a, a militant Palestinian activist. He was born in the West Bank, uh, where he owned a bakery and a produce store. In the early 2000s, he served as the spokesperson for a group called the Palestinian Islamic Jihad, the PIJ. This is one of the most militant Palestinian liber- uh, liberation organizations. And... So he's conflated with them for some good reason and some other reasons we're going to talk about that are not good. So I'll talk about them really quickly. And if you have more context on them, please inform me. But the Palestinian Islamic Jihad is fighting not for a two-state solution, but for the return of Palestine and the end of the state of Israel to how it was before 1948. To quote one of their founders, quote, I will never under any conditions accept the existence of the state of Israel. I have no problem living with Jewish people. We have lived together in peace for centuries. However, the PIJ uses suicide bombs against civilians as part of their tactics to achieve that. Uh, If there's an organization in Palestine that might earn the label terrorist, it is likely the PIJ. That is my impression from Mm -hmm. my reading of this. Yeah. Uh, Khadir Adnan left the PIJ, at least according to his wife, and this is not contradicted successfully anywhere that I've seen. He left in 2007, so 16 years ago. He was arrested again and again without charges or trial for his affiliation with the PIJ. One thing about arresting people without charges or evidence, it sure makes it hard to prove to the world that your arrests are justified, since your whole thing is that you don't bother justifying it. So Israel's like, oh, we arrest him because he's with the PIJ. They do not present evidence that he was part of the PIJ post his choosing to leave it around 2007. He was never charged with any attacks by Israel, and he was a, pa- a member of the Palestinian Reconciliation Committee. Israel never bothered trying to find out if he'd done anything illegal. They would just arrest him 
again and again. At the start of 2023, he was on his 12th arrest by Israel and his fifth hunger strike. His longest had been in 2015 when he was protesting his evidenceless arrest. And that time, his strike won him his freedom and an incredible amount of international attention from human rights groups. And so this is that kind of like, Israel didn't feel any shame about this. They just wanted him in fucking jail, right? But enough people were able to be like, what are you doing? And actually a lot of it, one of the articles I read basically was like, Israel was afraid he'd become a Gandhi, Mm. right? Israel Israel was afraid he would become like the center of a, um, I mean, (laughs) the center of a nonviolence resistant movement that gains power and independence. (laughs) Like that's what they were afraid of. Um, And, and so he, he won his freedom, but he continued to get arrested and continued to hunger strike over and over again. Because they just like see him and they'd be like, ah, oh, there, come here, you're fucking under arrest, you know? Mm-hmm. In February of this year, he was picked up again. He almost immediately started a hunger strike. He went without food for 87 days. And on May 2nd, 2023, he died. He was a 45 years old and he was a father of nine. His wife, Rhonda Adnan, um, I pronounced that wrong, I'm sorry, Rhonda Adnan, begged militants not to launch any attacks in his name that would go against his spirit of nonviolent struggle. His death was met with a general strike in Palestine. Again, nice reminiscent of what happened in, um, during Bloody Sunday in, in Ireland. As well, it was also met by munitions fired towards Israel. I believe it was like two rocket strikes and a mortar strike. Um, this wounded three construction workers. Those rocket attacks, which were not nice, killed no one, And they were met with fighter jets bombing Gaza, killing 13 people. And I think three wounded for 13 dead is about the ratio to understand the scale of violence between these two organizations, right? Mm -hmm. Most Western media, like literally until I got deeper into it, every single article I read just referred to him as affiliated with the PIJ um, because he was the spokesperson for them 16 years ago. And, yeah, a reporter named Muhammad Al-Kik was held in 2015 without trial or charges, and he hunger strike for 94 days to gain his release. I think he lasted 94 days because I think he was taking glucose water. I had this, like, moment where I was like, wait, what? I've never read any... Anyway, um, only to be arrested once more in 2017. He's alive right now. Uh, he's survived. He was accused of working for Hamas, which, not trying to specifically go to bat for Hamas... They're just a political party. <laughs> yeah. They were the majority. They were in charge for a long time. I think they're not currently in charge. I think Fatah is in charge right now. Um, but so they accused him of being affiliated with the majority party of Palestinian politics. They didn't bother bringing any evidence against him that he was related to them. But Israel doesn't bother with legal proceedings. And... The world is silent on Palestine. Western progressives are afraid it's too messy. Freedom fighters aren't always like cool socialists in Palestine. Although, if you want, there's an Israeli group, Anarchists Against the Wall, that takes direct action in support of Palestinian struggle. So you can just listen to the anarchists in that area, listen to what they have to say, just support Palestine. Being opposed to Israeli's apartheid state is not anti-Semitism. The people who claim that it is are trying to cover crimes against humanity. You don't have to support the actions of every rebel in order to support the underlying cause. And although plenty of people use their support, 
Plenty of people do use their support of Palestine to mask anti-Semitism. That is an actual thing. That is an actual problem. And those people's anti-Semitism should be opposed. They are distinct things. You can be against the IRA's love for car bombs and desire a united Ireland. You can be against suicide bombings and support Palestinian independence. It's not that hard to be ethically consistent. Oppression is bad. Settler states are generally bad. Targeting civilians is bad. There you go, right? People whose backs against, are against the wall will look for whatever weapons are available. Sometimes those weapons are hunger strikes. Sometimes people starve to death uh, on the king's threshold, not to change the king's mind, but to curse his memory. And please don't go watering down this tactic by like deciding you're hunger striking for the end of capitalism or something. Um, hunger strikes are specific tools used by people in specific situations. Thanks. That's my end rant. That was worded really well. I appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, I think I was thinking about, well, you don't need anything for a hunger strike, I think is what is important yeah. to remember. Like when a prisoner has no other recourse and literally nothing else to protest with but their body, that's yeah. when that comes in, I think. Because like, this is my last attempt to, I don't know. Like, I think it's actually a really scary, sad thing to have yeah. to come to that point. And that just shows you how how much that cause is important and necessary. You know what I mean? That it could push someone to that place. And I think it's, a, it's, it's what, what you said was really important about you don't have to support every rebel to support the underlying cause. I think it's really important to remember I think remembering that anti-Zionism is not anti-Semitism is really important to remember. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I don't know. This was a, I hope this, this was a, <laughs> a cohesive episode minus my, my tangents, but I think all of my tangents are just me trying to, to relay that what's happening in Palestine is not okay. I personally don't even like to call it Israel. Maybe that is like a hot take. I don't fucking care. <laughs> it's Palestine. Will always be Palestine. And I think knowing it's not okay and making sure everyone else knows it's not okay, I think is yeah. the, the bare minimum that anyone should do. And uh, regardless of what you think, there should be no excuse or or justification for... I know this doesn't mean anything, but like all the crimes against humanity and yeah. like literal ethnic cleansing and genocide and massacres that happen. I don't think there's anything that can justify that. And there shouldn't be in, for, in, in anyone's mind. If there is, that sounds like a you problem. Examine yeah. yourself. I don't know. Go to therapy. <laughs> but you know what I mean? I appreciate you doing this episode and having me on. Yeah. Uh, thanks for, thanks for being on. I, I've wanted to talk about some of these issues for a long time and I haven't, I mean, honestly, I've been nervous too, right? Because I'm like, because one, I want to do it right. And also because it's a thing that like, I mean, I remember when I was first getting into politics, you know, I was 19 or something. And I believed what I had been told, which was, oh, it's messy. You're like, oh, both sides. I don't know. You know, was like right. what I had grown up with. And meeting people who were able to like sit me down and be like, it's not a samey samey, you know? Yeah. Um there are things that both sides are doing that are bad and they don't compare and comparing yeah. them serves a specific narrative 
And I really appreciate the people who took the time to to talk to me about that. Yeah, there's an oppressor and an oppressed at the end of the day. There's nothing, yeah. like, those can never be equated, in my opinion. Yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, I think um, hopefully this was educational for people. And I appreciate that you wanted to talk about it. I, I mean, I understand that it's nerve wracking because it's, it is for me too. Every time I talk about it, not every time, but there's always mm-hmm. backlash when I criticize Zionism in particular or the state of Israel or anything. Yeah. I do have this bit I used to do, not recently on Twitter, but I used to just like make fun of the IDF because I would quote tweet them and just like make fun of them. And that was really fun for me. But I got, I got some, I got some hate for that. Yeah, just like they had the dumbest, most like lying tweets of like, this person and this Palestinian kid is shaking the hands of an IDF soldier. And I'm like, that's no. Uh, yeah. So every once in a while I would do that. But I, don't, I actually don't have an end to the sentence. I don't even know how it started. Um, but I uh, appreciate you. And um, I will stop talking now. All right. Well, but now I'm about to ask you a question. Oh, no. Okay. Where can people find you? Oh. To hear more of your hot takes or podcast stuff. Maybe this will motivate me to go drag the IDF Twitter again. But my Twitter <laughs> is ShiroHero666 and my Instagram is ShiroHero. Yeah, fuck the IDF and fuck Israel and all the good stuff. Um, I think there are plenty of resources and videos in particular that you can watch if you do want to learn more about what the IDF is doing or like how exactly like like Western, like like American and European settlers literally just like take a Palestinian family's home and they're just like from fucking New York or some shit and they have the ability to do that versus like, I have Palestinian friends that their families literally cannot go back there. And I think as you learn more about Palestine, if you choose to, which I I encourage you to do, you'll realize just how deep and and insidious it is. And um, maybe that'll make you angry enough like it does to me to just like not shut up about it. Uh, So that's where you can find me. And I will be motivated now to go drag the IDF. So stay tuned for that. Excellent. Uh, If you want to argue with me about my takes, I'll be at the Anarchist Book Fair in Asheville, North Carolina, and I won't engage because I don't want to argue about it. (laughs) I actually really dislike arguing about politics with people because usually we don't change each other's minds. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. But it is from August 11th to 13th, I want to say. You'd think I'd know. In Asheville, North Carolina, I will be presenting a a lecture called A Halfway Concise History of Anarchism. I will be playing as Nomadic War Machine. If you want to hear my band, Nomadic War Machine, it's nomadicwarmachine.bandcamp.com. And if you want to hear these episodes where instead of cutting to ads, it's just weird, awkward ad transitions and then us immediately coming back, it's like the best of both worlds. It's Cooler Zone Media. And you can subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts and eventually you'll be able to subscribe to it on Android. See you next week. People Who Did Cool Stuff is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. 
The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's. Because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. Check out Unpacking Israeli History Podcast. From the history of infamous terror groups, Hamas and Hezbollah, to the story of Nakba, to Israel's disengagement from Gaza in 2005, there's so much to uncover. Unpacking Israeli History cuts through the noise and helps you understand Israel's present through understanding Israel's history. Catch up on previous seasons and enjoy new episodes from Season 6 each week. So, educate yourself. Learn the history behind the headlines. Find Unpacking Israeli History wherever you listen to podcasts.